You're tuning in and turning on to the Inside Game with Mitch Newman. A chance to dig in and dig deep and how to move from all or nothing results, even sporadic results, to sustainable lifetime results in every aspect of your personal and professional life. Truth be told, none of us escape stuff. And what would it be like to effectively weather any season or storm that comes your way with determination, dignity, with grace, and gratitude? Knowing the truth of who you are will always carry you well across the finish line. So if you're ready to match your insides with your outsides, let's jump in. In the mid-80s, I decided that I was going to move out to Los Angeles and kind of start my life. My sense at the time was is that there was really nothing happening for me in Philly. And that my riches and my fame and my fortune were somehow going to be found in Los Angeles. It was a dream of mine since I was a little kid. Always imagined it. So I moved out to L.A., did a couple different things here, there. And at one point decided, you know, I think I'm going to be, I'm going to be an actor. Yes, that's what I'm going to do. And I remember going out on an audition. And I remember walking into a room. And on each side of the, the room that I walked into, it's like a waiting area. There was like this long line of chairs. And in each chair was a guy who looked exactly like me. <laughs> So I kind of walked about halfway down, and then I turned around, and then I left. And that was my acting career. <laughs> How'd I do? How'd I do? So I ended up going into the entertainment business regardless, and I went behind the scenes, worked as an assistant to a very, very famous and old-school-style manager, represented a lot of TV and movie stars and people very, very famous at the time, and some still are. And became an assistant and then kind of became a junior manager. And then at a certain point in time, I said, you know, I really, I, what I want to do is I want to write. I really want to write. That's going to define me somehow that that's going to be it. Like I'm going to write. And I remember going to a screening at a, uh, at a friend of uh, the manager who was a very famous writer, producer, director, had a lot of hit shows on, and I had done some notes for his daughter's script that she was writing, a spec script that she was writing. And I had done some notes on it. Didn't think twice about it, but, you know, just helped her out a little bit. Here's my thoughts, what I would change, what I would do. Sitcom. And out of nowhere, he pulls me aside at his screening at his house. First run movies. This is the kind of guy, like, you, you get first run movies that are out at the same time, if not before, in the movie theaters. And he pulled me aside and he was just so impressed with the notes that I, because he looked at the notes that I gave her and he was like, it was almost like a baton. He was passing baton. He was like, it was like this old school movie. Like, you got it, kid. You know? <laughs> and so it kind of inspired me to take it further. And uh, at some point, at one point, I remember just leaving management and deciding I was going to write. And I was just going to go off and I was just going to write. And I did that for a number of years. Had odd jobs. Had worked as a production assistant for on car commercials, uh, you know, as a runner for this, a runner for that. Like, I, it didn't matter what I did because as long as I could do is I could get up and write. And I spent a lot of time fantasizing about like when this happens, when I finally get my break, my life will start. I used to stare at stacks of bills sitting there needing to be paid and saying, 
when I sell this, whatever I was writing, then I'll be able to pay off my bills. Then my life will start. I ended up getting fortunate. I ended up getting staffed on a network sitcom. And at that point, when that happened, I thought, oh, my God, have I arrived. And I call that time, and it made me think of this the other day, because I still get residual checks from the episode that I was credited writing um, that had aired somewhere in the world. And I literally would I get these checks probably once or twice a year, maybe three times a year, and they're for like a penny or two cents, three cents. And <laughs> a residual check, that means that somewhere in the world, my episode that I was credited with writing aired. Two cents, three cents. Cost them more to send me the check. The paper costs more. Regardless, just reminds me that the world is abundant. There's still money coming in. <laughs> I'm never broke as long as I have two cents coming. Um, but what I realized was, is in the process of that, um, that that I thought now that I had gotten this job on this sitcom, like now my life was going to start. And I call this time of my life, the, you know, working on a network sitcom, the unfunniest time of my life. Like this is, you made it Mitch. Like you're doing something that less than 1.1, less than, I don't know, 1% of the people in the population get to work in the entertainment industry. And you're actually working on a network sitcom as a writer. Like you've made it. My God, Mitch, you've made it. Yet I was so miserable, so unhappy. So much so that at a certain point during the season that I was writing, um, I ended up, I was sitting in the writer's room and I ended up getting this anxiety attack. I never had an anxiety attack before. I didn't even know what was going on. But I literally felt like sitting there that I was going to die and I had to get outside. And I remember just going outside and going and I was on the Disney lot. And I remember just walking up and down saying to myself, please don't die. Please don't die. Please don't die. Please don't die. That's all I kept saying over and over again. And I was probably gone for like a, I don't know, an hour and a half or so. And all of a sudden I walked back in the room. And he's like, Mitch, are you okay? Like what happened? You just kind of got up and bolted out the door. And I said, I, I, I guess what I just had was an anxiety attack. And we go, oh, that's good. We're putting that in the script. And it literally went in the script that we shot for that Friday night. The main character having an anxiety attack. I said, well, I'm glad, I'm glad I was able to contribute. But I was really, really unhappy. And I really had banked when I thought about how many hours that I had put in. When I thought about how much time and energy that I put into writing. The times that I would get up at 2 o'clock in the morning and write until 6 o'clock in the morning. Or get up at 6.30 in the morning and write until 9.30 and then go off to a job. The hours and hours and hours. And the anticipation of what I was ultimately going to be able to create for myself and how this was somehow going to define me. That somehow this was going to define me. But I was miserable. I mean, I really was unhappy. But I didn't want anybody to know. I just kind of stuck it out, figuring, all right, you know, and it wasn't the easiest script. Um, these weren't the easiest scripts to write. I mean, we were having all kinds of challenges with the star of the show and what ABC wanted and what Disney wanted and what the showrunner wanted. It was just, it was a mess. Like it was just, it wasn't a great scenario. They were throwing a lot of different things 
and a lot of different types of people. There were too many writers at one point in the room from my perspective as well. But I was the junior guy. You know, I was the first first year out, right? So, and I remember it was a Friday and Friday was shoot day. And I remember I was sitting, uh, I was in my office and everybody was getting ready to go to dinner. And then you go off to to shoot. And all of a sudden the showrunner comes in and he says, hey, Mitch, can I talk to you for a second? And I said, oh, sure. So I walk into his, you know, go down the hallway. I walk into his office. He goes, listen, I, you know, I, I hate to say this, but there's a lot of changes, a lot of mix up. I'm sorry, but I have to let you go. I was like, what? He goes, yeah. He goes, um, you know, I feel horrible about it, uh, but the they want to bring in some additional writers. They want to bring in a couple teams and whatever. And unfortunately, you're kind of low man on the totem pole. And, you know, I, I feel badly about it, but I'm sorry, but I have to let you go. Um, I'm going to need you to leave now. <laughs> Because I think it's best if you don't go to dinner with everybody because it'll just be, you know, the energy won't necessarily be great and so forth and so on. So I'm like stunned. First, I'm just hurt beyond comprehension. And I go down into my office and I remember like, like I, I didn't, what do I do? Like I had all my stuff there. It's like I'm literally throwing everything that I had that was in my office into a trash bag. And I walk off the Disney lot to my car and drive home. I was devastated. I was absolutely devastated. The thing that I had banked on, the thing that I had counted on, the thing that I had decided was going to somehow define me in the world, that I had made it, that I was, that, that people were talking about me in, 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 the, in, in Philly where I grew up. My friends were talking about me. They were bragging about it. My family was bragging to other people about it. And like now I have to go home and tell everybody I was fired? I was fired? And people called me from the show, other writers. They said, oh, don't worry, Mitch, you'll get on another show. But it's not there. You know, getting fired off a sitcom as a writer is like a badge of honor. I've been fired six times. You know, it's all about finding the right mix. But none of that really mattered to me because I had banked every single thing that I had built up to in that point in time in my life. I banked it on that. But this was my arrival time that this was to signify that I made it, that this was to signify that I was somebody. And it was ripped away. And then all of a sudden, I felt relieved. Like I didn't even really register just how unhappy I was, just how uncomfortable I was, just how miserable I was writing on a sitcom. It wasn't even funny. It was a stretch to find the funny. Now what do I do? And I really look back on that time. I really look back on that time as a point where it started to turn, where I started to wake up. Because I had, you know, we talk about this. This is the whole point of this podcast is the inside game. I I had no inside game. See, who I was was going to be determined by what my environment was reflecting back to me, by what my peers were reflecting back to me. The universe was reflecting me back to me about what I was doing in the world, nothing to do with what I was being. So I had no skills or tools at the time to really support myself and how to be with this uncomfortable feeling, this sense of failure, this, this revisiting judgment of that I wasn't enough and the confirmation of getting fired that suddenly maybe I'm just not even talented. 
They don't even have the skills to do it. And then my agent tried to get me back on other shows and it was just a mess. And then, you know, my agent ended up at the time ended up just at a certain point, stop taking my calls. That's how I found out I was no longer represented. I didn't get a, a Christmas gift when I knew somebody else that was represented by them got a Christmas gift. It was a pair of underwear that said, we've got you covered in the agency's logo on it. <laughs> a pair of underwear. We've got you covered. And I never got it. Never heard from him ever again. That was it. So now I was like, he now really rejected. Okay, so, because I remember years earlier when somebody says, you know, I met somebody I hadn't seen for many, many years. They go, what do you do? I go, I'm a writer. They go, oh. Well, what would you do if you weren't a writer? I go, what are you talking about? What do you mean? What if I wasn't a writer? I'm a writer. What does that mean? Why? I was so scared because all I saw was a brick wall when they said that. I banked everything on it. And then I get fired. And then I find out I'm no longer represented by the agency because the agent just stopped taking my calls. That was it. No, like, hey, sorry, we're not going to represent you anymore. Tried, couldn't get you on. Just nothing. Just like, we'll just not take his calls anymore. So I was just really in the gutter. Really in the gutter. And I think that was a kind of a, uh, initial turning point for me to start to realize that who I am is not necessarily what I do, or at least that it can be. And I was talking to my my own coach earlier, and we were talking about what it is that actually creates that level of excitement and enthusiasm. We're talking about being totally coherent being totally in alignment energetically and being inspired as possible. And inspiration is really, it's an inside thing. It's, it's inspired in spirit. It's from within the idea that I needed to have a, a, a purpose behind what it was that, that, that I was inspired by. And for the longest time I couldn't find it. And that was really the turning point for me where I started to realize that, you know what? Life isn't going to always hand me exactly everything that I want. That I had to decide at some point, how do I want to be in the world in the midst of everything happening around me? That as long as I continue to rely on my external environment to reflect back to me, this notion of defining me, defining me as someone or something because of what I do, that I was messed up. And in many ways, that became the turning point when I started to go into therapy, when I started to look at myself and see the common denominator, uh, myself as the common denominator and all the things that I had been screwing up and messing up and, and falling short of. This realization that I had no inside game. None. So I had to redefine for myself what it is that excites me in the world. I had to move away from this idea that somehow this external world was going to define me and tell me that I'm valuable, tell me that I'm worthy. I remember my daughter decided that, you know, when she was younger, that she wanted to be an actress and she, she wanted to be an actress. She wanted to be a star. 
She just wanted to be like some of the people that she was in acting class with and some of the people that she was doing improv with who were getting cast on TV shows or who had their own TV show. She just wanted to be a star, and I was not going to put up with it for one second. I was not going to allow that. I was going to say, listen, you want to practice your craft? Fantastic. You want to do that on the side? Fantastic. If you think I'm driving you to 500 auditions because you want to be a star? It's never going to happen. I didn't want to participate in this idea that somehow that I was going to help create for her that that the sense of approval or rejection was going to rely on somebody sitting across from her after she read for 30 seconds or two minutes or read five lines. Can't handle it. There's no, it's all, listen, the prefrontal cortex is not even fully developed at that age. Mine is at least, was at least fully developed and I was still a mess. And I said, listen, when you get older, if you decide that you want to act and you want to be in plays and you want to do this, fantastic. I will support it. But it's going to be because you love it. Because you love it. Coach told me today a story about somebody that she was, she was working with who was in hospice care and she was a hospice assistant. And hospice patients shared with her several things. But one of the things he said was it was of the top of the list of most important things, looking back on his life, knowing he was dying, knowing he didn't have much time. He talked about this idea of doing something that you love no matter what anybody else thinks. This idea of we have to stop measuring ourselves by what we do externally in the world and somehow thinking that defines who we are. Because at any moment in time, and this goes back to this notion of impermanence. It's all impermanent. It's constantly changing. Things are constantly birthing. Things are constantly dying. Things are constantly being reframed, reinvented, redone. It's just, that's just life. There's an impermanence to it. But this idea that if we're going to show up in a big way, literally go big, right? Go big. That we have to know who we are. We have to know what inspires us, what is in spirit, what is from within. And without an inside game, without this sense of who I am, separate and apart from what I do, and knowing that that's foundationally is the most important thing, Without knowing that, we're all destined to be disappointed. We have to focus on really knowing who we are, knowing what our heart is really trying to tell us. Knowing that we have to choose to love what we do because we love who we are in the doing of it. I was upset that I got fired off of a sitcom, but the truth of the matter, I was miserable. I told you earlier, it's the unfunniest year of my life. I was miserable. And when I finally allowed myself to just settle in from this idea that I didn't have to show up on Monday, that dread of driving all the way across town to Disney to go 
show up to something that like I, I didn't get, didn't think was funny, didn't enjoy, I was actually relieved. Now, we all have these defining moments. We all have these opportunities where we start to see how what we achieve on the outside is not a definition of who you are. And all you have to do is actually achieve it. And all of a sudden go, yeah, I don't know that I feel any different. Still have those same thoughts when I put my head on the pillow at night. I thought this would make me happy. Inside game is an inside job. Same thing. So I share this story with you and it's, you know, this story happened obviously several years ago, but it's still in the telling of the tale. It still fires me up. It still reminds me of just where I was at that time. But when I separate out and I kind of just observe it, I don't even recognize that anymore because that's just not who I am. There are things that I want to achieve in the outside world. Things that I go and do achieve in the outside world. There's things that I just won't say no to. There's boundaries that I have that are set now because I realize that for me, I have to make sure that I'm taking care of myself internally. That I have to create an awareness inside about what it is, not that I do, but who I am. We all have to do that. We all have to create an inside game that makes sense to us. We always have to come up with what I call an inside game plan. And that's one of the things that I work with privately with people. And if you're interested in, in figuring out what your inside game plan is or you know that you need one, reach out to me. We can talk about that. But that's what we need because there is an impermanence. Nothing stays the same. And when we decide that that getting something, achieving something, the wanting of something was somehow going to validate us. What we're going to find is we're going to come up empty-handed instead of full-hearted by working that inside game. I'm Mitch Newman. We'll see you again next time. So if you enjoy this episode and like what you're hearing, I would appreciate you subscribing to this podcast and consider sharing this as well with a friend who may have an interest in fine-tuning their own inside game. Any comments, reviews, suggestions, all are welcomed and appreciated. Tagging me in your stories is also a great way to pass the word and provide me with additional confirmation that the content is landing, at least somewhere. (laughs) And if I'm missing the mark, don't hold back. I want to hear that too. So until next time... Don't hesitate to dig in, go deep, and find your magic.